Welcome to the TRI Research Group podcast, the latest in palliative care and end-of-life research. Today we have Dr. Gemma Aburn. Welcome, Gemma. Thank you. And Gemma is going to talk to us today about her PhD, which you've recently completed. Congratulations. Mm -hmm. Particularly around your findings, um, which I think would be really great because you've got an article out of it, which was published in the Journal of Pediatric Oncology Nursing. And we'll have a link to that article um, on the introduction of the podcast for people who are interested in in getting it. So Mm -hmm. Gemma, welcome and just give us a little bit of an overview of your PhD and your research topic. So my PhD um, explored staff experiences of working in children's blood and cancer centres in Aotearoa. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I took a resilience perspective Mm -hmm. rather than focusing on stress and burnout um, and the negative effects that have been researched a lot and that we know about um, from the literature and our own experiences, I guess. Um, So I included all staff working in the units, which was something unique to this study and hadn't been done before. So um, included nursing staff, medical staff, allied health, place specialists, social workers, pharmacists, um, support staff, cleaning staff, admin staff. So basically anybody that worked in the unit was invited to participate and had a really good cross-section of staff in different roles and professions participated. So you've got a nursing background. I have, yes. 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 And so, you're working clinically in that environment? Yeah, so I worked clinically from being a new graduate for six years in the children's oncology unit as a staff nurse. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and now in my current role, have been in for eight years working as a nurse specialist in children's palliative care. So I still have a lot to do with the children's oncology service, um, although it does only make up about 30 to 40% of the children we see in palliative care. So what was your reason behind opening it up? Oops. Opening it up. <laughs> I always forget to turn my phone off. <laughs> um, opening, I'm really interested in your your the decision that you made to open it up beyond just nursing yeah so I started out with you know being very determined I was looking at nurses because I am a nurse yeah I guess you naturally yeah, draw totally, to your own profession totally. but I think one of the benefits was um I had a supervisor Miran Gott was really lucky to work with Miran and who wasn't a nurse and kind of challenged me and said well why nurses and I went away and thought about that and I was working as a staff nurse on the ward when I started my PhD. So um, went back to do a shift the next day and was caring for a two-year-old who was dying of a brain tumour on the ward. And I went racing into the sluice room and found one of my cleaning colleagues tucked behind a hazardous waste bin in tears and hiding her distress of the situation that she was seeing. And she'd spent lots of time with this boy and his parents and had been in that room every day. And I think often parents confide in the cleaning staff because you know there's their, their hierarchy is different and the relationship they have is different and so you know, that was the moment for me that I went well actually we are all in this together and we all share these experiences and you can't look at this without looking at everybody and including everybody in the, the big picture. Mm. That's great that's great and I think it's um, I think it's a really good lesson about opening our eyes beyond our own profession and that <coughs> part of something greater than just nursing, but also just not even, you know, beyond the healthcare professional world. So so you decided to open it up to everybody. Tell us more about what your objective was and what you wanted to... So I guess um, taking a resilience perspective, I started out by looking at what 
how resilience had been defined in other settings um, and try to understand a bit more about that. I think you got a paper out of that too, was a scope oh, I review? And the integrative review. Integrative review. Integrative yeah. review, which was published in the Journal of Advanced Nursing back in 2016. Um, and that was a paper that looked at <clears throat> how resilience had been defined and conceptualised in empirical research from 2000 to 2015. And I didn't limit that to nursing and healthcare. I looked at that across all disciplines, professions, so included stuff like military education, oh, wow. family resilience, adolescents, older adults. There was a huge range of education, a um, huge range of different kind of disciplines and areas covered in the review. And that was really interesting because what I identified was there was no universally way of conceptualising or defining resilience. And it's an interesting word that gets used all the time in healthcare, doesn't it? And particularly in nursing, actually. Yeah, it's interesting when you study it and you start thinking, <laughs> what are we talking about? You hear all these people saying, Oh, they're so resilient. Oh, you're such a resilient person. And you think, What do they really mean by that? <laughs> I think, you know, sometimes when people say you're such a resilient person, that often the moments when you as yourself feel that you're anything but and you're not resilient at all. And so I think that is kind of reflective of the fact that this is a social construct and something that's different for everyone. And that's what came out of the review, really that it is something different for everyone. But also one of the key kind of um, researchers, I guess, that the research included in the study drew upon was this concept of ordinary magic that Anne Marston, a psychologist, described um, back in the early 90s. And she kind of talked about resilience being something that was inherent in all of us, something we were all capable of, that was grounded in everyday things um, like the family and friends around us, the support networks around us, the environment we're in. And I think that's a really cool way of looking at resilience. And yeah, I really like the of, term ordinary magic. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's a really yeah. nice way to describe it. It's also something that, you know, I guess people aren't forced to learn then, but can appreciate that it's something we're all capable of. It's just so, perhaps tapping into it. Yeah. Knowing that it's there. Mm. Yeah. So I took that social approach to resilience right through my thesis then. And that, I guess, also reflects why I included everybody and looked at resilience on a on a more social level rather than focusing on individuals, which I think as a society we have focused on with this focus on autonomy and the individual voice. That's how we see staff wellbeing and resilience now in the organisations we work in. And it sort of aligns quite well, doesn't it, in terms of that collective resilience rather than the individual resilience, which if you look at communities, perhaps in times of um, stress or strife or crisis isn't planned for but just happens just mm. organically yeah yeah, yeah, yeah so moving on to your actual research tell us a little bit more about that so the actual research I did started out with focus groups and did three focus groups which included um, all different professions disciplines years of experience um, everyone in together and spent lots of time talking about whether that was a good thing to do or not <laughs> um, but actually it was a really helpful thing to do and something that has carried on and how groups meet in the units now. And it was really rich discussion and people that had been there, you know, I remember in one focus group I had a new grad that had been there a couple of months and then these really experienced clinicians and staff that had been in the unit for a long time. And she sat there quietly for about 20 minutes and I didn't have to do anything because the other staff said, well, we wonder what it's like for you. What's it like coming in here? You know, how's that? And so got lots of really good ideas that I could further dig down and explore in my individual interviews as, as time went on and I guess the theory that was built out of that data that was generated throughout um, was a grounded theory study so um, the grounded theory I generated was around being a work family and that staff actually maintain their resilience by being a collective being a really cohesive group and being a work family 
having that sense of belonging, that sense of being valued, the sense that they had each other's backs. So how did you you move from focus groups to individual interviews? Because I think that's an interesting methodology. You know, we often have focus groups for a certain purpose and then individual interviews for a now, how did you, what helped you guide you around moving between the focus groups? So did you, you finished your focus groups first and then, you know, what was the purpose of so using guess, two with different ways? Grounded theory, you know, you are doing your data generation and your data analysis concurrently. Mm-hmm. Um, and so after each focus group, I'd analyse that data and look where I was going next to try and look at what was coming out of the data, basically. And so did that with before each next group. And then when I came to the end of the focus groups, I think there were some really clear um, codes and categories that were starting to um, be constructed. Um, and so then went out and kind of had a goal of, you know, who I needed to talk to to further explore those, those concepts and um, categories that I had generated through the focus groups. And so that's when I went on to doing the individual interviews. Right. And the people that I interviewed individually weren't necessarily part of the focus groups. Right. Some were. I think there was one that participated in both. Yeah, but the large majority weren't part of those initial focus groups. And given the fact that you found there was strength in a collective of people, focus groups would have naturally suited that. So was there something that you got that might have been different in individual interviews where people may not have felt that collective as they were giving or sharing um, experiences? I think in the individual interviews, the concepts that were coming up were the same and there was a really strong sense of collective and sense of that need for social connectedness and belonging. But people talked in more detail about their own personal experiences when they were on their own mm. and so talked about how that had been for them and what they saw their identity within that family unit was was really strong. Yeah. Um, so that was really interesting. But d- despite, you know, regardless of role or profession or how long the staff member had been there, really the things that they talked about were exactly the same. Oh, interesting. And yeah. so there was no difference between senior medical staff, junior nurses, um, cleaning staff that were really experienced, admin staff. What they talked about was tough and what they talked about supported them through were the same things. Mm. So, you know, you talk about family, and I think you and I have had a conversation about this before. Family can be great when everything's going well. Family can also be really challenging. Did, did that Was that something that came up? Was, or was yeah. it all nice and everyone loved each other? No, absolutely no. not. And, and the reality of, you know, I guess the analogy of a family is something we all have a different understanding of and mm. a different concept of, but it's something familiar to all of us in some way, shape or form. And I think one of one of the participants in the study had this amazing quote that I use when I um, present the findings often. Um, and it was that if we kind of functioned perfectly and we all got along, it was all lovey-dovey and happy days every time, we'd just be a team. Yeah. But the fact that there is a level of dysfunction, there's days when we don't agree with each other, there's days when it's absolute chaos, shit's hitting the fan, <laughs> um, that's what made them a family. Yeah. And I think ultimately what, what participants talked about of being a family is actually when the chips are really down and things are really tough, they know that there's going to be someone there that's got their back. Mm. And that's, yeah. And how does it just make something sort of popped into my head about when you said the definition of a family, how does that align? So in New Zealand, for international listeners, we have an Indigenous population. Uh, our Māori people talk about whānau. 
um, which is not about blood relatives at all. Did you did you have a you know some reflection around how your findings fitted with the definition of Fano and? Yeah, so I linked um, the theory to the concept of whānau and whanaungatanga mm-hmm, as well. Mm. And while, I mean, I think that's one of the things I would have done differently if I did this whole study again is actually start by having a Māori perspective and partnering with Māori right from the very beginning because I think the theory does have really close links to concepts of te Māori, but not being Māori myself and not having that right from the beginning, it didn't feel right to fit it into a box mm. and align it with Māori concepts, but I think it's something I'd like to look into further in the future. So room for some postdoc research then? Yeah, potentially. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, when you think about the definition of family, everyone has a different definition and understanding based on their culture, their own family experiences, their own upbringing. But, you know, I think in this context, what people talked about was that commitment to a group, that sense of um, working towards a common goal, having core work family values, you know, things like trust and loyalty and respect, commitment to others, um, that mutual support and guidance and, and being honest with each other. And they were all things that nearly every participant talked about. Wow, that's amazing. Do you think you might have got something different if you had undertaken this study in a different environment? Absolutely. And I think, you know, I used two units in the study, so um, both tertiary children's cancer units in New Zealand were included. So um, CHOC, Children's Hematology Oncology Centre in Christchurch, and Starship Blood and Cancer Centre in Auckland. And those two units are very different in size and culture and where they're situated and how they work. But my my purpose was never to compare them. No. But I think the, the theory, while it operates in both units, operates in different ways. And I think any team that you consider or you research the theory of being a work family is going to work and look different in any place so I think you know it would look different in different places right but potentially that cohesive concept of family would exist in any unit Mm. not just an oncology children's unit which has all the emotive you know the challenges about you know that those human challenges around grief Mm. and bereavement and Know, a general medical ward, general surgical ward, do you think you might get similar findings around that? Is this, is this something well, about reflection of a team? Certainly, um, I've presented it in a couple of different settings now, an ICU setting, um, education, so completely separate from healthcare, um, primary healthcare, and the theories resonated with staff working in all those areas. Interesting. Which is really interesting. I know one primary healthcare team, um, a project team, um, and a PHO that looked at this research and sat down together and said, so what can we do to encourage this concept of being a work family and did a brainstorming session together and what they came up with was they were going to start the day with karaki um, and start the day with checking in with each other. Well, that's great because that was, I guess, my next question was around, so what what difference is this going to make to our practice Mm -hmm. or our workspaces? And I suppose going right back to where we started around resilience, so what? So what does this mean about, you know, you've, found a theory around Mm. work families. How does that link right back to your original question about Mm. resilience? So I guess in that particular team, they've chosen to start the day with karakia and connecting with each other. I've set up space in the week that everyone comes together for lunch when they're able to, and they have a team lunch once a month as well where they go out of the office space and and connect with each other and just have time to be, really. Um, And interestingly enough, that group has had staff... Stay. They haven't had a single staff member leave since that time. 
Um, and they've noticed that their outcomes are meeting in much quicker timeframes and performing at a higher level. Well, that's really Which powerful, I think isn't is it? Yeah. Amazing to see in a whole different setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's great. I think in the children's oncology setting, so at the end of my study, I went and presented sort of my preliminary theory back to the senior leadership teams. And that included senior nursing, medical, allied health and administration um, in both units. And it really resonated with them. And you know, one senior nurse, and it was probably the most powerful thing that someone said at the end of my study was, you know, we've had lots of, I've worked in this area for 30 years, and we've had lots of studies that come out and say, this is what you should do. These are the interventions we think helpful. We've tried things in the unit. But she said, finally, it feels like we've got something that describes who we are and that we can actually just acknowledge that this is tough, mm-hmm. but we're all in it together and it's all going to be okay and we can all belong and look after each other. And so they found just the concept really helpful in guiding what they do. Well, really what you were able to do was, without even realising it probably, is take a strength-based approach to your findings. You know, this is what's happening and actually, yeah, it's tough and there are times when we may not like each other, but actually it really works, Mm. um, which is really good. And I guess creates that sense of it's actually okay to speak up and say I'm not okay, which, you know, it's interesting because I obviously attend some multidisciplinary meetings um, in my role in, uh, as a palliative care specialist. And I think you, know, you definitely see that there, there's been a culture shift and a culture change and mm. that people do look after each other and talk about this tough stuff more. It's great. Which is really cool. Great. Well, thank you very much. It wasn't so hard to talk for 20 minutes or so about something <laughs> that you feel really passionate about, isn't yeah. it? So um, that's great. It was really good. Thank you for sharing um, today. We do finish every podcast with a little question. Oh, yes. Um, I'm intrigued. <laughs> and um, it's, you know, you've heard of the bucket list thing, haven't you? Yeah. And given that this is a podcast based around issues to do with palliative care and end of life, it seems appropriate to finish with a bucket list type question. And so what we do is we, uh, well, me actually, ask uh, each person I interview, if you had 24 hours mm-hmm. left on this planet, what's the one thing you would do? So one thing I would do probably would want it would involve eating, (laughs) (laughs) probably baking or cooking as well, and um, being with friends and family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you could combine both those very well, I think. Yeah, having a party with lots of food with all my family and friends around me in Christchurch. Yeah, it would probably be in Christchurch. Although there's some other pretty amazing places that I'd be happy to be too. Great. Great. Well, thank you very much, Gemma. It's been a delight. And I always love hearing about your your research and the PhD. It's been groundbreaking stuff. Thank you very much. Cool. Thank you. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. If you would like to know more about TRI, please go to our website. The link is in the description.